This is another sports podcast. Welcome to another damn shitty episode of another damn shitty sports podcast. I am Drew Torres here with Money Fucking Mike Gilchrist. How's it going, buddy? I'm ex- I'm excited. I'm I'm thrilled because you know what? I am coming off of a Yankee Red Sox weekend where the Red Sox swept the New York Yankees in the Bronx in Yankee Stadium, and it was phenomenal to see. I have to say, um, Yankee fans right now, I think that they have a right to be angry and disappointed, not because they lost to the Red Sox, but because they are in a complete shamble as an organization their gm sucks their manager sucks and the players are not playing good baseball uh you know and as a red Sox fan i can't help but enjoy it it's fun to watch especially being a red Sox fan in new york uh it's even more more joyful for me so i'm feeling pretty good even like why are you talking so much shit man six nothing to the astros <laughs> <laughs> why are you talking so much shit man you know i i, I have to say whenever you uh, are a fan of a team in a city that the main team there is their hated rival. You get a lot of shit. So when you are able to stand on top, you gotta you gotta do it. You gotta you gotta voice your uh, your success. I guess I don't know. Yeah, you sound like you, you sound like all the LeBron haters out there right now. Now that he's been eliminated from them eliminated from the NBA playoffs, right? Oh, oh no! I, I'm talking about feeling good. I'm feeling good because of that as well. I was so happy to see the Lakers eliminated because I thought for sure that it was going to be another one of those things where, oh, you know, LeBron's hurt and he's going to overcome this, and then he's going to be celebrated like he's the greatest thing since Jordan, or he's in the, even better than Jordan. But no, like Anthony Davis got hurt in Game Four, and LeBron is not 100% after all. So hey. They're out, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if you look at the circumstances of that series, it really didn't seem like the Lakers had any reason that they should win that series. I mean, look, look at the Lakers' supporting cast other than those two players. Like, it's, it's they're a decent team at best, but they're not a team that's going to make a deep run into the playoffs without an Anthony Davis and LeBron James at 100%. No doubt. No doubt about it. And I think that it's also – um, will change the mindset of some teams going forward where the Lakers were kind of had that mindset of uh, uh, the regular season doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what seed we are. We're, we're going to be able to be ready for the playoffs. Seeding matters. I mean, had they played um, the Clippers or the Mavs in the first round or the Portland Trailblazers, they probably would have put up a better fight. But Phoenix is a very, very good and underrated number two seed. Uh, I mean, look at Booker's performance in the series, but also in the closeout game. Like, Phenomenal. 22 points in the first quarter, 47 points overall. It was amazing. Yeah, that was kind of like Devin Booker's coming out party as being like an absolute superstar in this league. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like, if you're in the Western Conference, you have to fight for any good seed position that you can get. It's not like in the Eastern Conference, because I feel like the Cavaliers kind of did that with LeBron uh, over some of the years uh, during his second stint in Cleveland, where they kind of just like. We're like, oh, whatever. If we get the fourth seed in the in the playoffs in the East, we'll still be able to get to the the finals, and it did happen. But in the West, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, well, that's how LeBron's Heat teams were after a little while. After you know, the I think the first year together they were the one seed, but then after that they were always either the two or the three. Uh, like I think Derrick Rose's Bulls were the number one seed, but you never really felt like they were any real threat to the Heat because the Heat didn't really care about the regular season. Uh, but uh, yeah, the West is a completely different animal than than the East is, and. Even now, with the teams that are left, 
the East is not that intriguing, whereas the West is extremely exciting to see. You've got the Utah Jazz taking on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and the Clippers after they had a very hard-fought series with the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. Um, and then you've got Phoenix taking on Denver, which, you know, Denver has the now uh, MVP of the league, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and it's just going to be both those series, the Phoenix, Denver, and the um, Utah, LA Clippers series are both, I think, going to be competitive. Whereas we saw last night, the Brooklyn Nets, even without James Harden, are in a completely different league than the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks are a good team. It's just yeah. not yeah, it's kind of crazy because when you see these two teams on paper, you're like, okay, well, the Nets are most likely going to win this, but you think it's at least going to be a good series. I mean, the Bucks have always been an or have been uh, an Eastern Conference contender for the last few years, but man, I mean, they lost by almost 40 points. You know, it, it's in their last game, and the the, uh, the Nets brought in their bench players with like nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Like, it's just unfair at this point. Uh, for the Nets to be in the Eastern Conference right now, playing against teams that are so below their level, so it's uh, it's kind of a done deal at this point. They're already up 2-0, and I, I don't even really see them dropping a game. If they drop one game, sure, but there's no way the Nets aren't advancing to the next round. Oh no doubt, and I, I don't think there's any question that the Nets are going to advance the NBA Finals. I, yeah. I don't see Philadelphia or Atlanta beating them. Even I think Philadelphia would put up a better fight than Atlanta if. Embiid was 100%, but Embiid is not 100%. Yeah. So even that, you know, takes Philadelphia's contention out of the running in my eyes. I think Milwaukee's their toughest test left in the East, and they're already just steamrolling through them. So, yeah. Yeah. So the Eastern Conference is basically locked up. Like you said, it's basically a done deal that the Nets are going to make it to the finals. I know you were very confident said that the Lakers are going to make it to the finals, but I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you a pass this time. You weren't expecting Anthony Davis to go down. You weren't expecting LeBron to just not be a shell of himself. So, Yeah, I, I, I do believe that if Anthony Davis had stayed 100% in the series, I think that the Lakers would have won the series. I truly do, because like, they were up when he was healthy, and he got hurt in the game, the second game they lost in the series. Yeah. So Phoenix had two games where they, that they won where Anthony Davis didn't even play. So what is it about Phoenix that's making them so good this year? Is it really just the absolute like domination from Booker? Do you think the addition of Chris Paul is the biggest reason? I think the addition of Chris Paul is the biggest reason. Because obviously Devin Booker's stepping up and playing phenomenal basketball, and they're a good team. Um, and their coaching has been really well. But I think Chris Paul coming and bringing that veteran leadership presence and, and changing the culture has been the biggest influence. And Chris Paul played phenomenal in game one against Denver, so... You know, he's a, he's a true point guard. He's an absolute true point guard, um, a great leader. And, uh, Sounds like Money Mike. Well, yeah, he's not that good. But, <laughs> uh, no, I, I definitely think that um, that would be, the, I think, the key to Phoenix being where they are at this point in the season. They're up, game, they're up a game right now, which they should have won. It was game one in their house. Um, so we'll see where the series goes forward. But if I were to say why Phoenix is that good, I would say – you know, they're building on the foundation that, you know, because you and I played for Phoenix, and we weren't very good back then, but <laughs> we led them. To, they, they built from our failures and took them to I – don't, I, I don't know. I have to ask Gino if he got a letter of thanks from Devin Booker or Chris Paul. I haven't. Yeah. 
if anybody's to be thanked, it's definitely Geralimo Mammolino, who we were expecting to get on the podcast today, but he wasn't able to make it, so we'll definitely have him on in the future. I tried to get Steve Demblaker on the pod as well. Uh, he uh, unfortunately was not able to make it, but he did tell me that as long as the Jazz don't get swept by the Clippers, he and his uh, fiance will be heading out to Utah to go to one of the games. So nice. I am very excited for him. So he's counting on them going to at least the game five. Yes, exactly. So I, as long as the Jazz can at least get one game or one win, he'll be very happy. So. Well, I think that's a safe bet. I, I, yeah. <laughs> the Clippers lost every game at home except for the last game. So <laughs> I think there's definitely a chance of that happening. But let's talk about the Clippers. I mean, they were down three games to two. Game six going back to Dallas. And Kawhi Leonard shot 60% from the field. Yeah, percent from three-point range and played just unbelievable basketball the last two games. And the thing is, especially in the last or the second to last game, I didn't even watch the last game, so I'm not 100 percent sure. But the second to last game, it just seemed like he was able to hit from range. And if you're like, if Kawhi Leonard is hitting that well with his jumper, like, how the hell do you defend him? Because he is so deadly off the dribble. It like, oh my God, I just can't, especially on the Mavericks. Like, I, I know I was seeing um, Max Kellerman was saying that, like, Luca has a terrible supporting cast. Like, people were kind of shitting on uh, Porzingis and stuff like that. And I just don't think the Mavericks had anybody to really stop Kawhi once he started going at the pace that he was going. And Steve, I'll relay this uh, from what Steve told me earlier. He's, he was saying that he doesn't believe that the Jazz have anybody that can really cover Kawhi. And that's why he actually wanted the Mavs to win that series because he felt like they could handle them a lot better. Right. So it'll be interesting to see, though. Yeah, and, and uh, the thing that Kawhi did so perfectly in Game 6 was he did what all the sports critics will ask, uh, ask of superstars. He stepped up offensively, and he shut down the other team's superstar. Now, he didn't shut down Luka in Game 7, but he was still able to put up his own performance and, care, and kind of influence those around him um, because Kawhi – is not typically known for being an assist guy. And he really stepped up that aspect of his game in game seven so that everybody on the Clippers was able to contribute and overcome the greatness of Luka Doncic on the other side because Luka Doncic played phenomenally in game seven. Um, so it, it, tough for the Mavericks. I mean, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that they won every game in LA except the one that they really needed to win. Um, but um Testament to how good Rick Carlisle is as a coach um, because they have Luka Doncic and Porzingis has been on and off. Um, I know that he's not too happy with his role in Dallas because he feels like he's more of just a guy as opposed to being the co-star with Luka. He feels like it's all Luka's team, but look how good Luka Doncic is. I mean, that's just how it's going to go. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at the rest of that roster, there's really no number three star on that roster. So, like, Porzingis definitely gets his touches. Sure, he doesn't get all the limelight, but that's just because he's not as good of a player as Luka Doncic. He has to step up and get the results so that people can recognize him as the 1B of the team as opposed to the biggest name player on the team that doesn't really contribute enough, you know? So it's really all up to him. He's in a good situation. He's just not taking advantage of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, in regard to the Clippers, they, um, they escape. I think that it's always... I think everybody was kind of writing them off after they lost game five and they went to Dallas down three games to two. Um, but I think when you're tested in a first round series and go seven games, it's only going to make you stronger. Uh, like the Boston Celtics, when they first had 
uh, KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. The Atlanta Hawks took them to seven games. The home team won every game in that series. Um, and the Celtics had home court advantage, so they won in game seven in Boston. And Doc Rivers said, you know, that was probably the best thing that could have happened to that team because they never really felt tested in the regular season. And that was a test to how strong the team was, and it propelled them to go forward in the playoffs. Uh, so I think that that's something that the Clippers will carry with them into, especially game one, because the Utah Jazz haven't played since Wednesday or Tuesday of last week, and they're now playing tonight. And, and they also played weaker competition, too. Yeah, and the Clippers have been playing, like, do-or-die basketball and every other day for the last, like, six days. So the Clippers will have all that momentum coming into game one. A lot of times you'll see that team play the team that's been laid off for a bit, and they'll steal that game one. However, Utah is in it is in Salt Lake City, and they have a, a great home court advantage when they play over there. So we'll see. It should be very, very interesting. I think it's going to be a six- or seven-game series. Don Mitchell is phenomenal. Stephen A. Smith has been calling him D-Wade 2.0. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but, you know, hey. Uh, but the Jazz shoot the three incredibly well. They've got four or five guys who can hit the three and they chuck up a bunch of them, and they not only do they chuck up a bunch of them, they make a bunch of them. Like some critics will say, oh, they make a lot because they shoot a lot. Well, they convert a high percentage of threes. So uh, Utah's a very, very good team, and people don't really talk They play in Utah. Right. They're really, really good. <laughs> yeah, and like as great of a three-point shooting team as they are, sometimes you have to worry like – a team that relies on the three so much, you never know if, like, oh, is this when they're finally going to die off? So, like, like, you live by the three, die by the three. You know, that's the, the token phrase. So, um, I hope the Jazz can at least uh, kind of have an even game. You know, Donovan Mitchell can kind of propel them away from the three and bring them into a more balanced offense. But you never know. You never know what's going to happen. I'm excited for that matchup. But go ahead. And, and the Clippers have never, ever, ever made it past the second round. So that's something that the Jazz also have mentally ahead of the Clippers. The Clippers have never, as a franchise, made the Western Conference Finals. They have history on their side. Well, I'm going to be rooting for the Jazz just for our friends Steve and Gino. You know, I want them to win. So yep. Exactly. So we'll, we'll be watching for them to win. Now, uh, moving on to uh, an interesting story with uh, one of the teams that got eliminated, the Portland Trailblazers. They got rid of their coach immediately following them being eliminated by the Denver Nuggets. Um, do you think that the Trailblazers are going to also move on from uh, Damian Lillard? I know that's been a big talk. Well, I don't think it's going to be the Trailblazers moving on. From Sorry, yes. Be Damian Lillard moving on from the Trailblazers. Yeah, because his contract's over with, right? He's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. You hear people like Damian Lillard and Giannis say that they're never going to leave their small market teams, but there comes a point where you know, unfortunately, you're only going to get true acclaim if you're winning a championship. And I hate to say it, with the Lakers getting knocked out in the first round, it opens the door to say, look, we got knocked out in the first round. We're not a super team if you come to us. Come on, Damian Lillard. Come on, Steph Curry. Come join the Lakers. Uh, right. I, you know, I could see Damian Lillard leaving the Trailblazers because he wants to go somewhere where he can win. Now, where would the best situation be for him because he has been the big fish in a small pond? I don't know. I mean, we saw Dwight Howard, who was the face of the Orlando Magic years and years ago, back when they went to the finals against the Lakers in 2009. And Dwight Howard was that big fish in the small pond. It was his team. He goes and joins the Lakers, and then he 
didn't have a good experience there with Kobe Bryant. Then he went to Houston with James Harden, didn't have a good experience there because he wasn't the guy. I think that was at least a contributing factor. And he kind of been, he was kind of forgotten about until he was just a role player on the Lakers last year when they won a championship. Right. I think, so it looks like here, no. yeah, Damian Lillard has four years left on his contract. Um, yeah, and he's making $176 million. So he's getting his money. So I think the best strategy for these young stars is I think Giannis made the right decision. Make your money first, you know. Stay on the team, the team that you're building with. See if you can win a championship on your own. They're not on your own, but at least not on a super team. Right. If you get through that contract and it's like, okay, well, I wasn't able to – this organization couldn't build a good enough team around me to win a championship, then that's what I would – for me, my own personal acclaim, I would go, quote-unquote, ring chasing. I don't know if that means joining a super team like the Nets, but at least go somewhere else where you, you think you'll be supported better. Yeah. Because that's what I would do. Get my money first, then go get the ring. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that um, – I, I think that it's a completely different narrative of super teams. I think there has to be context. So I'll use the Celtics again as an example. So KG had been in Minnesota since like 1995, okay, and joined the Celtics in 2007, like 2007-2008 season. Yep. That's 12 years he dedicated to Minnesota. Exactly. He gave them plenty. He gave them plenty. So <laughs> and Also, he was traded there. Um, but even if he had joined on his own free will, like he was a free agent, is like I'm going to go to Boston because Paul Pierce is there and they're getting Ray Allen. We're going to form a team to try to win a championship. Ray Allen also had been years in Milwaukee and years in Seattle, trying to do what he could, but couldn't come up with anything. Paul Pierce had been in the Celtics uniform since the late '90s, uh, early 2000s. So it's not the same as like young guys who all get together and form their their, their super team. Like Kevin Durant who was up three games to one with Oklahoma City with Westbrook against Golden State, they lose. And he's like, well, I'm going to go join the team that just knocked us out. Right. Who's been, two, who, who, who's been to back-to-back NBA finals. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Durant is forever going to be the most, like, tarnished player in terms of his uh, integrity in that regard, you know, and instead of sticking it out with a team that was clearly good. He was just like, screw it. I'm just going to move on. You know, like, like that made no sense to me. Uh, LeBron going to Miami was fine. It was just the way he did it that everybody that kind of pissed everybody off. Yeah. You know, because he was working with nothing in Cleveland. Like, like, let's be real here. He was he was going to through these playoff runs with what Zydrunas Ilgauskas, Anderson Varejao. But like his supporting cast was terrible. <laughs> I think that the, the in hindsight, because we know what LeBron's career became. I feel like in hindsight, the move from Cleveland to Miami wasn't as big as a deal because here's, you know, he carries the, the Cavaliers to the finals in 2007 on his back. He basically took that roster and dragged them with him to the finals, and they get swept by San Antonio. Then the following season, the Celtics formed their team with Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce and knocked LeBron out in the second round. And then he gets knocked out by, by a upstart Orlando team that was just hot that particular postseason. MKG was hurt, and that's why the Celtics didn't make it. Um, and then the Celtics eliminate him again. So at that point, it's like, okay, I need to go somewhere where my situation can be a little bit more improved because clearly they're not being able to improve my situation here. 
and like you said, the 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 announcement on live TV of I've decided to take my talents to South Beach. You know, it, it, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Or the or the, the stage announcement. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. like shut up, LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is we haven't seen anything like that since because everybody agrees that it was just like way too over the top. Yeah, it was way too over the top. Yeah, yeah. And it made LeBron's experience in Miami for the first year miserable because everyone painted him as this villain, as this awful human being, which he wasn't. He was just you know. He was just a young guy making a dumb decision. Right. He, he was trying to go for all the attention, and I get it. He's definitely one of, obviously, one of the best players of all time. But there was definitely a better way he could have gone about. It. He could have just like told his favorite source, and the source leaked it, and then it was, they're just talking about it on Sports Center, or he announces it on a press conference. You know, it's <laughs> or you just say exactly what you think is, you know, just be authentic with it and say, hey, I'm going to Miami because I want to play with my best friends, D Wade and Chris Bosh, and we want to win together. There you go. That would have been so much better. Yeah. I mean, I remember the day before the decision was announced on TV, Chris Bosh had announced that he was going to Miami. And it was on SportsCenter with a simulcast with D. Wade on the other side of the interview. He goes, uh, D, they're like, D. Wade, where have you decided you're going to go? And he's like, I'm going to stay here in Miami. And Chris Bosh goes, yeah, and I'm joining him. And they're like, we're, we, we don't know what LeBron's decision is going to be. And I'm like, bullshit. You guys know. That's why you're smirking. <laughs> but honestly, the biggest winners of that situation were the media outlets. They were just oh. completely rolling with this thing of the big decision, you know. I remember going over to uh, uh, one of our friends' houses, and, like, it was just, like, a big deal. It was like we were going over for a Super Bowl party because we had to see what LeBron's decision was, you know. Yeah. It actually turned out great for ESPN, but, yeah, in terms of LeBron's, like, legacy, it was kind of like, ugh. Yeah, much. I don't know if you ever saw the parody to the decision with Steve Corral where he said he was going to leave Chili's. <laughs> oh, I have not seen that. And go to like Outback Steakhouse instead or something. I don't <laughs> know Chili's was, but it was, it was he was abandoning Chili's. Oh, I'm sure there were so many parodies back then about one, that. There was one on How I Met Your Mother with, with Barney Simpson. Oh, yeah, that's right. The, the new strip club. <laughs> Golden oldies. Go, he should have stayed at the Lusty Leopard. They have loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> LeBron left. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Man, what a, what a time back then. What was that? 2011? 2010? 2010. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You, I was in 10th grade. You were a freshman in high school. 11. I, that was before I met Kristen. Holy crap. Yeah. Holy crap. The good old days. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean, folks. Uh, sure it is. The good old days before we were adults and actually had to uh, be responsible, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I guess we'll go back to NBA talk. So real quick, we haven't really talked much about the Hawks now that they're a team that's kind of been a surprise. You know, I was surprised to even see them in the playoff hunt. And then they got past the first round and they beat my bandwagon fandom Knicks, um, who Tom Thibodeau did win the uh, coach of the year, which was uh, huge for him, huge accolade for the Knicks. But the Knicks, just once they got to the playoffs, they seemed like all of their momentum just left immediately. Um, and it was very unfortunate. Yeah, and Atlanta was just the better team. Uh, they showed that game and game out. They, the Knicks had no answer for Trey Young. Absolutely no answer for Trey Young. And, uh, for, you know, the, uh, the Hawks just respond really well to the coaching change there. A lot of times when a coach is fired halfway through the year, it's kind of a sign from the organization that they've kind of gave up on that particular season. Uh, but in this case, it just kind of rejuvenated Atlanta, and they just, quote-unquote, soared from there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they go against the uh, ailing Sixers team without Joel Embiid, and they kind of steal game one. 
Uh, I think as we are uh, recording this, they are not winning game two right now. Um, I believe the Sixers are up in that game. Yeah, I saw they were down. Um, I, oh, it's halftime. It's only a two-point game. All right. For the Sixers up. The Sixers were up earlier by quite a bit more. So Yeah, big second quarter. Yeah. And if Atlanta, if Atlanta wins game two, that series is done because Atlanta is a phenomenal team at home. Yeah. Uh, they, they didn't lose a game at home in the series against the Knicks. And they won, I think, nine straight home games, closing out the regular season. So they're a team that's that's hot in Atlanta in particular. Uh, oh yeah, Atlanta supports their Hawks, so so they get some great like fan turnouts for all of their games, and they're very enthusiastic fans. So I agree. I, I think they're definitely deadly when they're at home. Yeah, and if it turns out to be Atlanta versus the Nets, with all due respect to Atlanta, that you know the Nets are going to probably sweep them. <laughs> Dude, it's just looking at those two rosters on paper. Like, it just it, it would literally be a demolishing. It wouldn't even be close. Even if the Sixers win, it's not going to be close, especially if Embiid's not 100%. Who the hell is going to stop anybody on the Nets? You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. I'm not even watching the Eastern Conference anymore. And, and you know, I've been a hater on the, net, the Nets because of the the way that James Harden left Houston, and I, I don't like Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Nothing against Kevin Durant. I like Kevin Durant. But I saw something from a Nets fan on social media that I was like, okay. Where it was, uh, somebody posted it. It was a photo of um, a few Nets players. I think it was Lopez and Harris and Williams sitting there on the bench looking sad. It's like, I was here when this team lost their first 22 games of the regular season in 2000, whatever. We've been a terrible franchise. Yeah. yeah so we, we deserve this. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I, I, I could feel better. I wish you guys were still in New Jersey, but I, I feel for you. <laughs> No, I, I 100% agree. That's why I, I don't really give Nets fans shits for being Nets fans shit for being happy, but it just sucks because it just goes along with what we talked about on this podcast a million times. Just how the NBA is just so not as exciting as it used to be. You know, and maybe we're just a couple old men lamenting about uh, the older years as we just were, but I don't know. Hey, I mean, there are people who watched basketball back in the 80s and the 90s that didn't like our generation's you know version of the game. Right. You know, so it's just it, it is what it is. I do, however, concede that it probably was better in the eighties than the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> no, it absolutely was. Yeah, like just watching the last dance, you realize how much better it seemed. Even if the players weren't as good, the players weren't as athletic. It just felt different. Yeah. You know. So. Because you know, um, we hated Golden State when they were winning. Like we don't care about Golden State now, but when Golden State was winning, you and I would be like actively rooting against them. Right. Because I felt like in the nineties. I, again, I, I wasn't there in terms of actively being an NBA fan, but I feel like if you weren't a fan of the Bulls, you still were, like, rooting for them to do well because Michael Jordan was just that guy that was a likable superstar. I right, exactly. He was the one of the biggest stars in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was like Michael Jordan was a brand. Like, everybody was just kind of adopting him as, like, the biggest sports brand in the world. It was more... He also had kind of like a mystique about him, where he just seemed so like cold. Yeah, larger than life, but also kind of like cold and like such a killer. And you could really gravitate towards that because everybody wants to be like that, you know. Whereas like LeBron, he's got kind of like he's got a very polarizing way of how he acts, both on and off the court. So it's like you you can recognize his greatness on the court, how well he plays, but he's also very whiny. He he also loves to complain to the refs more than anybody, and the refs kind of cater to him because he's such a big star. And then obviously he has his political views on Twitter that can definitely split the fans. 
So it's like that's a lot different from how MJ was. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I I think is I would advocate for. I, I'm not saying that athletes shouldn't have a voice in politics, but I like MJ's approach where he just goes, "Hey, Republicans buy shoes too." <laughs> exactly. He's all business. That's not. That's not for me to discuss. You know, I, I I've got I've got to work, work, focus on basketball. Yeah. No. And he's 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 always been all about business. You know, though. Like, like, like that's just how he's always been. He's always been about himself, how how he can better himself and better his brand. And so sometimes that's a a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Yeah. He's a true MVP. And speaking of MVPs, right before we got on the show. It was announced who the MVP of the league was. Joker is the NBA league MVP. First I know. 2000. First white MVP since Steve Nash, as you said earlier before we started yeah. this podcast. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Mike's like, we're represented. Yes. Yeah, finally. Representation <laughs> matters, and <laughs> white people, we have our hero. <laughs> so how do you feel about that, Mike? Do you agree with the selection? No, I don't actually. Um, <laughs> I actually thought Steph Curry deserved it. You know, mm-hmm. Steph Curry, I thought played, um, you know, with Clay Thompson going down, and he had to carry the Warriors to extreme. I mean, they didn't even make the playoffs, but he just played so unbelievably well that I thought he deserved it. Um, I didn't think that Giannis. I, I I thought that Steph Curry deserved it the most, and then I thought Joel Embiid for the Sixers was number two, and then I thought Joker was number three. So. That was the order that they ended up in. It's just Joker was number one, Embiid was number two, and then Steph was number three in the votes. Um, so, I know Joker deserved it, especially with Murray being out for Denver. He had to carry more of the load to help get Denver to where they are. Um, I just – people need to better define the most valuable player award because is it – who is the most valuable player in the league or who is most valuable to their team? Because that's two completely different conversations sometimes. Because if you take Steph off the Warriors, they weren't sniffing the playoffs. They weren't sniffing the play-in tournament at all. They would have been the worst team in the West. Um, whereas if you take Joker off Denver, Denver's probably still decent. Yeah, know. I mean, I don't think they would have made the playoffs either without him, though. No, no, but you know, it, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. um, like uh, if you take when Kevin Durant was on the Warriors. Kevin Durant wasn't winning the MVP because if you take him off the Warriors, then they were still going to be they were still going to be good. But th- that doesn't mean Kevin Durant wasn't the best player in basketball that year, right? You know, we'll, we'll just look at it this way. Yeah, the MVP they really have to come up with a concrete way to determine the MVP, like you said, because if you think about it, Kobe Bryant, I believe he only won one MVP, right? Right. There was not only one season where he was the best player in the league. Like, <laughs> there's no way, but that, that's just, I feel like it's so, like, wishy-washy how they determine who wins that award every single year. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with uh, Jokic winning it just because, like I just said, I, I don't think they would have sniffed the playoffs either, and they ended up getting a higher seed in the playoffs, so that kind of offsets where the teams ended up. Sure, the Nuggets team is a little bit better than the Warriors, but that's probably why they got a higher seed. But in terms of uh, Steph Curry, uh, I, I think, do you think if they ended up making the playoffs and not having the stupid playing game thing, do you think it, that would have bettered his chances? I think it would have changed a few votes. Um, yeah. You know, he finished in third. I don't think it would have changed the ultimate result. Uh, but I definitely think it would have flipped a couple people's votes, um, especially since they were up by 13 at the half against the Lakers, and they just – turned it over and we're playing sloppy basketball, him included. So I think that definitely probably deterred some people from voting for him. Um, but 
ultimately, I think the result would have been fine. And again, I think Joker deserves it. I just if I had my if I had a vote, I would have voted for Steph Curry. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And obviously, Steph Curry is the more fun choice anyway. You know, like he he just looks like he's carrying a team more when he's splashing threes from 50 feet out consistently you know like that looks like a most valuable player not some awkward lumbering white dude in the middle of the paint just throwing up like hook shots and like <laughs> it's just not as exciting and I feel like that kind of factors into the MVP choice as well as like popularity and excitement and obviously uh, Joker being chosen doesn't support that statement but I feel like that's true but he yeah, and Joker played all 72 games in the regular season. Um, he averaged 26 points a game, uh, 10 rebounds a game. So he that, is, that is so many points, dude. 26 points a game for 72 games, like that's crazy. And 10.8 assists and 8.3. No, sorry, 26.4 points a game, 10.8 rebounds per game, and then 8.3 assists. So he almost averaged a triple double as a center. Yeah, like that's nuts. Having that many assists as a center is incredible. Uh, he, he's like he's kind of under the radar become one of like the best like obviously he's the best player in the league this year but he's he's gonna go down as one of the best centers of all time if he keeps playing at this rate he's a point center <laughs> <laughs> exactly so if, if you guys have a, if anybody listening to this has never watched joker play before definitely check him out during these playoffs um he's definitely a fun guy to watch um but did you agree with Thibodeau winning the the coach of the year yeah, I, I thought Thibodeau for the Knicks, or um, I, I thought the coach of the Suns, or um, even the guy who took over for the Atlanta Hawks, you know, deserves some credit. Probably who won one coach of the year because he didn't coach the full year. Um, but the coach of the Jazz, I, I think there were a bunch of guys who were deserving of it. Um, I, I wouldn't give it to Doc Rivers, even though he took Philadelphia to the number one seed. I just, the, when you step into a good situation, you know, no, Steve Nash wouldn't have deserved it. It's coach the Nets. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm sure he would have agreed as well. But, like, I think it just helped that the Knicks were just so bad for so long. It was like, okay, finally a coach came in and turned this ship around. What's well, not really that many good players. Like, the Knicks roster is not good. Right. But he was able to get as much as he possibly could out of, out of that roster, even if they fell short in the playoffs. Yeah, and um, I don't think I, I don't think that Julius Randle is a, uh, a number one option. No. He just had to be this year. I, I think the playoffs proved that because he didn't play that well against Atlanta. Um, he's a good, he's a really good option to be number two. He's, I think I heard this from someone, he's a great option as a number two. He's a top-ranked third option, but he's not going to be the guy who's going to carry your team and be the difference. But no, most definitely. I, I mean, I don't like the philosophy as a whole when you have a team and you get eliminated in the first round. You're like, well, we had a good season, guys. It's like, no, you just got eliminated. But the Knicks have been bad, as you said, for so long that just making the playoffs is enough for them. Like, that, that, that's, that's, take that and run with it because you haven't had anything like that in years. Well, yeah, and if you're a Knicks fan, you have to, like I just said, you have to look at the roster and be like, I mean, how far could we have possibly gone with R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, a very old Derrick Rose? Uh, it, it just like, like Derrick Rose looked good. But it's not like he's a, the superstar of old. So they didn't really have anybody that you could look to to carry your team when maybe they're playing a little down. And that's why they lost, what was it, 4-1 in the series against Atlanta? Yeah. They all, yeah. It was a gentleman sweep. Yeah. So good season for the Knicks. Uh, I'll continue to root for them as long as they're decent. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, what other teams were there? Any, any other notable stories from the playoffs? 
Well, um, I will say I, I thought that the Grizzlies probably were the best team in the play-in tournament. They uh, and they stole the first game against the Jazz, and then Donovan Mitchell came back and they got you know beat as they should have been. So you know, tips off to uh, the Memphis Grizzlies for uh, going on a quick little run that they had. Yeah, they're just like the Knicks too, where it's like they're they've always been like aggressively mediocre. So it's like it's nice for them to at least make the playoffs, you know. The, the Boston Celtics, my Boston Celtics, were suck. Handed, yeah. <laughs> Even if they were full strength, they weren't a match for the Nets. And they got the toughest draw. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they didn't play well in the regular season, so that's what they deserve. Um, the uh, biggest news out of Boston after the series was over is that longtime GM Danny Ainge, former Boston Celtic player. Um, is no longer going to be the chief operator of basketball operations, not the president of basketball operations any longer. And Brad Stevens, who I thought there was potential he could get fired uh, because they weren't having that great of a season, um, but I also knew that they really loved him, is moving up in the organization. He's taking over Danny Ainge's job, and so now the Celtics are looking for a new head coach. So it's going to be interesting to see who they bring in there. I know I initially tweeted Kevin Garnett to be the coach, but I've actually come off that stance. I want Kevin Garnett on the staff, but I want Sam Cassell to be the coach. There you go, Sam Cassell. He's been an assistant for a long time. I think he deserves an opportunity to be a head coach. He is a former Celtic. He was on the championship roster in 2008. Hasn't he played on every NBA team, basically? <laughs> I feel like he was everywhere. He's played a bunch of them, but he's been he, – I think Kevin Garnett on his staff would be great because Kevin Garnett can come in and be like a defensive coach. Um, but he, and he, he's played with Sam Cassell both in Minnesota and in Boston, so they have good chemistry together. Uh, so I think that would be a good uh, – good role in in boston to have i know stephen a smith went on this race rant about how like black people never get opportunities to be gms but i'm sorry uh brad stevens was part of the organization and they liked him and when there was an opportunity for him to move up he did that's what happens in companies it's not because he's white <laughs> yeah, right no exactly he, he was doing good at his job and he got promoted for it you know he had one like kind of bad season and they you know, that year. you know yeah the conference finals two of the three years he was you know two of the last three years before this Right. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with Stephen A. Smith's take here. But yeah, Sam Cassell, he was a member of the Rockets, Suns, Mavs, Nets, Bucks, Timberwolves, Clippers, and Celtics as a player. And then he also is coached for the Wizards, Clippers, and 76ers. So yeah, he's been around the NBA. <laughs> he deserves an opportunity to be a head coach, and I think that uh, I hope that he gets a, sh a shot in Boston. That's who I'm pulling for to be the Celtics head coach. Um, so that would excite me. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. But I'm also excited to see how Brad Stevens does as a GM because Danny Ainge did pretty well. Um, he didn't do as well as he could have, unfortunately, uh, because he got the, the championship in 2008. But then after that, they didn't really – there's no – banner number 18 was not raised to the Raptors since then. And if you would ask Danny Ainge at the end of the 2008 season, will you – if you are the GM until 2021, how many more banners do you think you'll get? He goes, well, I, I bet he would have said he would have got at least one. So, you know – he made some good moves, but the team was always just good, but not to the get to that next level. Get to that next level, yeah. So the Celtics have Jalen Brown and Tatum as foundational pieces. Um, I would say I would be open to getting rid of Kemba Walker because that's the only bad contract on the team. Um, so if they can somehow get out of that. Um, yeah, I feel like the Kemba Walker project has not worked out for you guys. He was good the first year, just this year he's been inconsistent with injuries. And so yeah. and there were games where he played phenomenal. There were games where he just didn't play that great at all. He's he's not he's not the guy who came from Connecticut into Charlotte. He's just that's not who he is anymore. Right. So I think that the only two unmovable pieces in Boston are Tatum and Brown and everyone else is expendable. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. But uh, talking about important pieces, why don't we shift away from the NBA talk and move on to the biggest uh, story in the NFL offseason, I would say, to date. I mean, this, this is... Talk about the NFL in this podcast. This is going to be something new. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite team, the Tennessee Titans, have traded for Julio Jones, the elite Atlanta wide receiver. He is now joining A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill, and Derrick Henry to completely turn that offense into a juggernaut. And I got to say, I am a little terrified. Well, I, I do hope that there's somebody who's listening to this podcast for the very first time, and they actually believe that the Titans are your favorite team now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was interesting that somebody posted um, what the Titans offense looked like before Julio Jones, and it was like, what play call? And it's halfback dive. And then, now that they've had Julio Jones, what's their play call? Halfback dive. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... Amazing if they just like didn't use Julio at all. Because they're still going to give it to Derrick Henry most of the time. No, it, it does make the Titans, I think, the uh, favorite in, in that division. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's pretty funny. I like yeah. that. I wish I came up with that. That was so. That was so. <laughs> um, but I, you know, because the question mark here's the thing: if Carson Wentz is, um, if he bounces back with Frank Reich coaching him again and it's back to uh, close to what he was in 2017 for Philadelphia, I think the Colts would be actually the best team in the division. I think they have the best roster overall. Um, but the Titans, with that offense and their physical play on defense, they're not the best defense in the league, but they definitely play more physical than a lot of teams in the NFL. They're going to be a tough team to beat week in, week out. I'm not saying that, I, I, that they're going to go undefeated or anything like that, but I think they're a solid – if they don't win their division, they're going to be one of the wild card teams. And – I'm sorry, whoever has the unfortunate seeding position to play the Titans in round one of the playoffs, good luck. Yeah, no, and the, the weakness for the Titans last year was their defense. Their defense was not good. Um, and I think if they could at least get a decent showing out of their defense this year, then I think that they'll definitely easily contend for the AFC South uh, title with the Colts. Um, what, what do you think about what the Titans had to give up for Julio? They gave up a second-round pick in 2022. Uh, their fourth-round pick in 2023 and a sixth-round pick in 2023. Do you think that a second, a fourth, and a sixth, like, I'm imagining, like, that's really not giving up that much for a player like Julio Jones. Like, the ceiling for Julio Jones is still very high, in my opinion. What do you think? I think I think that uh, I think the Titans won that trade, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, time will tell. Time will tell. The receiver is the most dependent position in football. Yeah. Um, so it really does depend on how they use him um, and how well Ryan Tannehill can get him the ball, which, again, Ryan Tannehill is proving people wrong year in, year out. It, it still amazes me that even myself, people doubt Ryan Tannehill. They don't think he's as good as he's been playing in Tennessee, and he's been playing well. Yeah, he's got, like, a bad stigma just it's still lingering after that terrible showing in Miami. But you're right. Like, once you, when you hear Ryan Tannehill, it, you have to, like, think for a second. It's like, wait, he's not bad anymore. Like, like you, you have to just consider him a good quarterback and be like – because we would always say over these past few years, like, oh, it all depends on Ryan Tannehill. It all depends on how he plays. And he ends up playing well, like, all almost all the time. Like, so you can't doubt him anymore. And even if you're just an average quarterback, when you have pieces like uh, – Derrick Henry is your running back, and now Julio Jones at receiver, and who's their other guy at receiver? The, the AJ Brown. Brown. When you have Brown, 
you're going to be okay. You're going to be good. Like they're going to make you look even better. So that's the other thing that he has going for him is he's got all these pieces around him at, to kind of make him like, look at somebody like Mark Bolger who had Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt when he first got to the Rams and took Kurt Warner's spot away. Uh, but then once all those guys retired, he was terrible. You love bringing up Mark Bolger on this podcast, man. Every time we bring up like a quarterback that isn't really that good but has a lot of good pieces, you always go straight to Mark Bolger. <laughs> he really is, though. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He is. It's a perfect example of how you can be you can be an average quarterback and have good pieces around you and to make you look really great, and then once those pieces are gone, you know, because the thing is, and the other reason Mark Bolger is a great person to use is because he was in the same draft class as Tom Brady. Whereas Tom Brady has proven that it doesn't matter who you have at receiver, you know, he can make anybody good. Whereas Mark Bolger, who got drafted ahead of Tom Brady, needed pieces around him to be good. But once those pieces were gone, he was a piece of garbage. Who, how did he get drafted ahead of Tom Brady? Money Mike always somehow turned the conversation into either Tom Brady or Eli Manning. He will find a way. He will find a way eventually. As great as Tom Brady is, he still couldn't overcome Eli in the situation. There it is. There it is. Uh, why did I bring up the NFL it all, again? It all connects. It's all one big chain. Don't you love that uh, when you sent me the the post about Julio going to the Titans, I just respond, Julio trash. Yeah. <laughs> Julio trash. We got Tim Tebow. That's all we need. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, the other cool thing, uh, speaking of Eli, is I saw a video of uh, his nephew, Arch, yep. at, uh, I think he was working out at Clemson. Yeah. It looks like a Clemson facility. He looks good. Like, he looks really, 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 really good. And, like, Eli, you know, posted on Twitter, like, uh, Arch snapped the ball and then flipped it after he, he did a pump. He, he did a pump fake and then he flipped the ball and then threw it down the field. It's just a dime to his receiver in the perfect spot in the back of the end zone. And Eli just goes, yeah, I taught him that. <laughs> well, I know. I saw that. I thought that was hilarious. Because he's the um, – Arch is the son of uh, – what was it? Cooper, yes, okay, so the non-NFL Manning. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see when he finally makes it to the to college and then most likely the pros. But I, I, I'm curious about two things about him uh, going into college. One is where's he going to go? Because obviously Archie Manning, uh, the Manning's father, went to Ole Miss. Everyone expected Peyton to go to Ole Miss, and he went to Tennessee instead, and then Eli went to Ole Miss. So I'm wondering, will Arch go to Ole Miss? Are you saying old or ol with an e at the end? O, o l e. Okay, it sounded like you were saying old. I was gonna have to correct you. Old mess. <laughs> then there's new mess. Yeah. Uh, no, ol as in like that southern way of saying old mess. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very curious to see where he goes to college, and then where will he end up in the NFL? Because it's like, will he end up in one of the three spots that? Will he end up in either New Orleans, Denver, Indianapolis, or New York, or will it be a completely new spot for a Manning, and the Manning era will continue once again? And how will he do? Will he live up to the expectations of, you know, that guy Peyton, and then the great Eli Manning? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that guy Peyton. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like he's graduating high school in 2023. So we still have a couple of years to uh, to wait until we see what happens with Arch Manning, but. Uh, I so believe two years, that's two years. So he's a junior this year. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, yep. So go ahead. I don't know. I, I wonder when will he make a commitment then to where he's going? Probably by probably prior to uh, his senior year. Um, but honestly, I have no idea. I actually, that's just a complete guess. I have no idea when kids like commit to their colleges. Yeah. Or um, he goes to Syracuse or Texas. 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not happening. Texas, maybe by a long shot, but definitely not Syracuse. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Why would you go to Syracuse? Ugh. Here's the thing: you can play every home game inside a dome. That's true. That's true. Just would just play in uh, one of the worst uh, conferences in college football. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no. No, I, I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if he goes to Ole Miss or not. Ole Miss. Yes, yes, Ole Miss. Um, all right, we'll, we'll move on from football. Uh, the, obviously, the Julio story was huge, but other than that, there really hasn't been much going on with uh, the NFL offseason. Um, did you catch the Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul boxing exhibition over the weekend? No, I did not, but I heard about it. Um, who won? I, I heard of, of it, but I didn't actually like hear the results. Or anything. Did Floyd win? Um, unless someone got knocked out, there wasn't going to be a winner because uh, it was an exhibition, so they didn't have any judges. Um, so Floyd actually did not knock out the 0-1 YouTuber Logan Paul. Logan Paul was able to last eight rounds against Floyd May- Mayweather. Now, who knows if Mayweather was actually trying his absolute hardest to stop the fight. Who knows if he was trying to just kind of entertain and drag him out as much as possible. He obviously outclassed Logan Paul in terms of his ability to – like stick and move is just his absolute boxing knowledge. Um, Logan Paul was, I believe it was either 25 or 35 pounds bigger than him. So obviously that's a huge advantage, but the Logan Paul was able to take some punches from arguably the best boxer to ever live. So good for him. Yeah. That's good. That's cool. Uh, (laughs) Money Mike just completely no selling this whole thing. Why was it an exhibition match? Why weren't they fighting for the belt? Fighting for the belt. I, I don't, honestly don't even think the commission would have like accepted the match, uh, <laughs> yeah, because uh, because of the fact that the dude has never won a professional professional fight in his career. So, okay, that's fair. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I do still I I feel like we as the public deserved after Conor McGregor went to Floyd's arena that Floyd should have gone to Conor's. <laughs> Well, because everybody knows how that would have ended. Like, like that's the thing. Like boxing. Well, the boxing match was going to end. Yeah. Well, no, we didn't though. You know, like nobody expected that. Like Connor would last that long, and he did. You know, some people like Connor loyalists were like, "Oh, well, I mean, it only takes one shot." You know, but when it comes to MMA, dude, like all he has to do is take him down, and then it's over. Like, like it, it's a lot more like concrete way for Connor to win, you know. I know, but it would have been so great to see Connor take him down in the octagon and then Connor do like the Connor walk. Yeah, I know. I know. But if you want a, an actual um example of that scenario, just watch uh Randy Couture versus James Tony. Because James Tony was a boxer and he was actually a very good uh, professional boxer and he he decided to just hop into the MMA ring and fight uh Randy Couture who was one of the best at the time. And it was the same thing, right? Randy Couture just wrestled him to the ground and just beat the crap out of him and then submitted him. That's that's exactly what would happen. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, any big UFC fights coming up on uh, the upcoming weekends? Yep, this upcoming weekend we have uh, the middleweight championship, Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. Uh, the two of them have fought before, and Marvin Vittori lost uh, by a very close decision. So it's a big rivalry. These two have been shit-talking a lot. Uh, Vittori believes that he won the first fight, so uh, Adesanya is the champion. So It's only been one fight against each other? Like, there was just one fight that didn't go, neither one knocked it out, they went to a decision? Yep, went to a very close decision, and Adesanya won. Okay, so that's that's that. It'd be interesting to see who wins that one because now you know the guy who lost the decision I think has a little bit more of the animosity, but 
Yeah. Only they're talking trash to each other, so they're both probably really fired up for this. And uh, even me as a non-UFC guy, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, because Adesanya also before his so his last fight, he's the middleweight champion. He moved up to fight Jan Blahovich, who's the current light heavyweight champ. And uh, he had, he was going into that fight completely undefeated. He looked like he was unstoppable. He looked like a guy that wasn't going to lose to anyone. And then he ended up losing to the light heavyweight champion, who was just this big Polish dude that's really quiet. Um, and and all, all the Polish dude did was just take him down during the last couple of rounds. So it kind of like uh, opened up some sort of path to victory against Adesanya. So Vittori coming off of a victory where he kind of just wrestled a dude for five rounds, it gives him a little bit of confidence because it's like, oh, Adesanya can lose if I just do this. So it, it's going to be interesting. Cool. That's yeah. good. When's Connor's second? His uh, third fight against... Uh... His name. Dustin Poirier. He's Poirier. fighting him on July 10th. That's I knew that was coming up. Yeah, uh, that's, that's coming up on the calendar too. I know Connor loyalists are uh, amped up for that one. Yeah, because I think if Connor wins this fight, he'll most likely get a lightweight title shot. I won't be surprised because he kind of gets like a pass. You know, he doesn't have to go on a winning streak. He just has to have a lot of hype, and he'll get a title shot. So that will be interesting. So I know a lot of people are rooting for him to win for that reason. But Dustin Poirier, he's a uh, he's a killer. So. We'll see how that goes. But other than that, I've got nothing else, Mike. Do you have anything else? Well, uh, I'm not a big hockey fan. I know you're not either. But the uh, hockey playoffs have been going on. And uh, the defending champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, won tonight 2 to nothing. So they advanced to the next round. They beat the Hurricanes in five games. And last night, the New York Islanders went to Boston and took a 3-2 lead over the Boston Bruins. So game six will be in New York. Um, so that's an exciting series going on. Where are the Sabres? Huh? Where are the Sabres? You know where they belong, not in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> and they, 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 don't, um, they don't have hockey tickets available at the Key Bank Center in June. Oh, man. Um, the Canadians uh, knocked out the Jets, and, and they swept them, so they're advancing to the next round. And I believe that the current matchup between the Avalanche and the Golden Knights is tied up 2-2. They're playing Game 5 as we are recording this. Um, so it should be interesting. I, again, I'm not a big hockey fan. I'm pulling for the Boston Bruins only because my dad is a Boston Bruins fan. Um, I had, you know, family friends uh, who are out in Nashville. Not, not family friends, family out in Nashville who are fans of the Nashville Predators. Uh, so I was rooting for them until they got eliminated in the last round. So uh, I always keep an absent mind on hockey. Kind of peek over every now and then just to check out how it goes, just to see who wins everything. Uh, but I do know that if the Bruins do get eliminated by the Islanders, I think I'll pull for the Islanders because uh, Doug Ellen's a fan of the Islanders, and he created one of my favorite shows, Entourage. So <laughs> <laughs> that is almost, that, That's like you saying that you only know Hulk Hogan because he's a Broncos fan. That's like, that's such like a loose connection. Well, oh, man. I, 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 for those of you listening to this podcast, if there's another podcast you want to listen to, there is a podcast called The Victory Podcast where it is Doug Ellen uh, and... Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon, who played E and uh, drama in Entourage, and they go through every single episode of Entourage and talk about behind-the-scenes stuff about it. Um, it's been, I've, I've listened to a few episodes. It's pretty good. But what's funny is there was a line, I don't know if you remember this, Drew, from the show, where the guys are walking down the sidewalk, and they're talking about the Yankees, and then there's a comment about the Mets, and E goes, the Mets? Who cares about the Mets? And Kevin Dillon, who's an actual Mets fan in real life, after that scene cuts, he goes, who cares about the Mets? I do, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true, though. Who does care about the Mets? I don't anymore. I used to, but not anymore. 
Yeah, you still have that Mets flag somewhere? <laughs> no, unless it's still hanging in my room at my parents' house, so that thing's probably long gone. Um, but all right, well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. We talked about a lot of different sports on another damn sports podcast today. Um, I don't know when we'll do another podcast. Probably after the second round of the NBA playoffs is finished. I feel like that's a good schedule to have. But uh, Mike, any parting words for our adoring fans? Uh, I'll just lay this out. I think the Jazz will advance to the Western Conference Finals and beat the Clippers. I think Phoenix will eliminate uh, Denver, and I believe the Nets will eliminate both uh, every team that's left in the East. I don't care who wins the Sixers Hawks series; they're going to get eliminated by the Nets. So it'll be the Nets versus the winner of the Suns and the Jazz in the Western Conference Finals. That's my prediction. Uh, we'll see if I'm right going into the next round when we do our next show. Congratulations to the U.S. men's national team, soccer team, for defeating Mexico the other night. I know that was a big win for all of you soccer fans. I am Drew Torres here. He is Money Mike Gilchrist, and thanks for listening to another damn sports podcast.